Chapter 26 of Workhouse Characters This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon Workhouse Characters by Margaret Nevinson Chapter 26 The Evacuation of the Workhouse 1915 the workhouse is being evacuated. The whole premises, infirmary and house, have been taken over by the war office as a military hospital. After weeks of waiting, final orders have come. And today, motor omnibuses and ambulances are carrying off the inmates to a neighboring parish. One feels how widespread and far-reaching are the sufferings caused by war. In spite of this bright May sunshine, one realizes that the whole earth is full of darkness and cruel habitations. The white blossoms of the spring seem like funeral flowers, and the red tulips glow like a field of blood. It never occurred to me before that anyone could have any feeling except repugnance towards a workhouse. But someone, I think it was the prisoner of Chillon, grew attached to this prison, and evidently it is the same with these old folk. Old faces work painfully. Tears stand in bright old eyes. Knotted old fingers clutch ours in farewell, and some of the old women break down utterly and sob bitterly. On the journey some of them lose all sense of control, take off their bonnets and let down their hair, obeying a human instinct of despair which scholars will remember dates back to the siege of Troy. It's all the home I've known for twenty years, and I'll be right sorry to go, says an aged man, as he shakes my hand. Folks live long in the workhouse, and seventy and eighty years are regarded as comparative youth by the older people of ninety and upwards. To the aged, any change is upheaval. They have got used to their bed, their particular chair, their daily routine, and to have to leave the accustomed looms in the light of a perilous adventure. Perhaps heaviest of all is the sense of exile. It is a long walk to the adjoining parish, and bus fares will be hard to spare with bread at ninepence a quartern. I've been on the danger list, and my son came every day to see me, says one old lady but he won't be able to get so far now. Alarming rumors are being spread by a pessimist much traveled in vagrant wards, but they are speedily contradicted by an optimist, also an expert, in poor law both in theory and practice. We try to cheer them, but our comfort is not wholehearted. We can guess how the chafing of the unaccustomed, the new discipline, the crowds of unfamiliar faces will jar upon the aged. We try to impress upon them the joy of self-sacrifice, the needs of our wounded soldiers, the patriotic pride in giving up something for them. Oh, yes, they know all that. The guardians had been and talked to them, just like a meeting. They understand about the soldiers. They want to do their best for them but it is hard. The workhouse is nothing, if not military, in its traditions. 
heroes of South Africa, of Balaclava, and the Crimea have found asylum in the whitewashed wards. Many of the present inmates have been soldiers, and there are few who have not some relatives, grandsons and great-grandsons, fighting in the trenches. One of the oldest of the grannies, aged ninety-three, went off smiling, proud, as she said, to do her bit. The sick are being brought down now into the ambulances. The physical, the paralytic, the bedridden, blinking in the sunlight from their mattress tomb. One poor woman, stricken with blindness and deafness, who in spite of nervousness looks forward to her first motor drive. These are less troubled, they are younger, and the sick hope ever for a quick cure, and the majority are only in for temporary illness. Then come the babies, astonishingly smart and well-dressed, including the youngest inmate, aged but eight days. The costumes are odd and eccentric, and in spite of misery, a good deal of good-tempered chafe flies round. All inmates are to leave in their own clothes, and strange garments have been brought to the light of day. Whilst much concern is expressed about excellent coats and skirts moth-eaten or mislaid in the course of twenty-five years, the storage of the workhouse often suffers strain, and the wholesome practice of stoving all clothes does not improve the colors nor contribute to the preservation of what modists call la ligne. Fortunately, all fashions come round again, and we try to assure the women that the voluminous skirts and high collars of last century are la dernier cri in Bond Street. But it is difficult for one woman to deceive another over the question of fashion. For twelve hours the buses and ambulances have plied backwards and forwards, and now the last load home has started, and tired nurses and harassed officials wave their last goodbye. Thankful, the long day has come at length to an end. In a few days other loads will arrive, all young these and all soldiers. Many of them, perhaps as the advertisements say, belonging to the nobility and gentry. The workhouse has ceased to be. From today it will be no longer rate-supported. The nurses and the whole staff draw rations and are in the pay and service of the war office. As soon as possible, gilt letters will announce it as a military hospital. On the table before me lies a copy of the local paper and I read with surprise the thanks of a public body for our offer to give up the workhouse as a military hospital and expressing appreciation of the patriotic action of the guardians in the matter. In my opinion, we made no offer. We merely obeyed a command, and the people who did a patriotic action were those who turned out of their home, such as it was, but in this world credit is given where it is not due, and thanks are bestowed on the wrong people. We reap where we have not sown, and gather where we have not strawed.
End of chapter 26. Recording by John Brandon. End of Workhouse Characters by Margaret Nevinson.